I try not to have that fear and I try to just go ahead and uh, immerse myself because I think that when you start writing in a genre, like if you want to be a sci-fi author, you have to read sci-fi because your books are going to be in conversation with those books, right? They're, they're, they're talking to each other. And so you have to understand what came before you so that you don't think that you invented the wheel. And I know a lot of writers who think they invented the wheel. You are now listening to Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing with your host, John Robinson IV. Here we smash walls, demolish writer's blocks, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get it cracking. Zoraida Cordova has been writing professionally since she was 17 years old, and she is the author of a number of novels, including, but not limited to, the Brooklyn Bruja series, Star Wars, A Crash of Fate, Incendiary, and more. She is also a co-host of the Deadline City Podcast. You can always find Zoraida writing her next novel or playing her next adventure, perhaps in a galaxy far, far away. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the next episode of the Beyond the Fourth Wall Podcast. I am your host, John Robinson IV, and with me today, I have Miss Zoraida Cordova. What's going on? Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. I, I know... I know scheduling can be tough right now and everything is going on with COVID. I wanted to try to, you know, get people to, to sit down while they're in the house um, and talk with me. Uh, I know a lot of people out, out there have had a little bit more time to, to do some recording sessions. So I want to try to take advantage of that at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like the, the thing that's sustaining me right now is audiobooks and podcasts or just anything that I can consume via audio or TV. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're able to come on. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Zoraida is the writer of the Brooklyn Bruja series, um, also Star Wars Crash of Fate, uh, books like uh, Vicious Deep. I mean, there's really a lot out there that she's worked on. Um, and honestly, I can't wait to check out more of her stories. As I was telling her, I, I started the, uh, the Brooklyn Bruja series. Uh, I was introduced to her via the Star Wars Crash of Fate, which I absolutely loved. And, uh, we, we kind of want to get into some of the technical aspects of writing, as we always do on this show. Um, because I was kind of, I was, I mean, I was really inspired. I was really impressed with what was done, uh, with that story. First, I kind of want to ask for, audience members um, who may be uh, sitting and having issues with figuring out how to how to start their their next uh, writing project uh, kind of what kind of what you do to start a new writing project whether you either plan things out or you hop right into it or kind of what your, your process is to begin with it's funny you ask that now because I am about to start a project I'm gonna start it um, I'm, I have like June 8th scheduled for it, which I know mm -hmm. is a weird, you know, just like a random date, but I definitely try, because I am on a schedule, I try to, I look at my, I look at my calendar and I say, okay, I have three days of writing articles, like freelance articles for BuzzFeed or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have a week that I want to take uh, to do the final pages for another, another series, right? And then, and then I'll take four days off and then I'll and then I'll start this other book. But before I start the book, 
I take, um, I make a list of research material. And that research material usually involves nonfiction books that have to do with the idea as well as books within that genre. So my next book is a middle grade novel. Mm-hmm. I have a list of seven middle grade novels that I've been meaning to read. And I know that a lot of people don't like to read books within their their same category or within their same age group or within the same uh, genre specifically because they feel like they might siphon something from that. Um, there's, a, I, there's a book that I really love called The Good Fairies of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the intro... Uh, there's a there's an introduction by Neil Gaiman that says I've avoided reading the Good Fairies of New York because I was writing American Gods at the same time, and I didn't want to accidentally like borrow or take anything from this, but <laughs> I made a mistake. And this book is incredible and nothing like my book. So I think there's like the fear that you were accidentally going to copy, but you know I think we do that with if you listen to a song enough times, that lyric is going to appear in your book by accident. So. Mm. I don't. I try not to have that fear, and I try to just go ahead and uh, immerse myself because I think that when you start writing in a genre, like if you want to be a fiction, if you want to be a sci-fi author, you have to read sci-fi because you want your your books are going to be in conversation with those books, right? They're 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 talking to each other, yeah. um, and so you have to understand what came before you so that you don't think that you invented the wheel. And I know a lot of writers who think they invented the wheel. Um, uh, not my friends specifically, <laughs> you know, people <laughs> who think that they invented X, Y, Z. And I'm like, but that existed in all these other books. You probably didn't read them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's why I try to do my due diligence when it comes to reading other material. Absolutely. That's a huge, I, it's, man, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Cause it's like, that is a huge thing that I believe in. Um, and, and I, I guess preach when I'm talking about, uh, writing and consuming material, you know, um, ingesting. That's what I call it. That's, that's my word of choice. <laughs> is, is when you go out and you, and you ingest to, to prepare for whatever project that you're working on. And I think the idea of, well, I don't, I don't want to copy what they did is, is I think it's, like you said, I think it hampers you to an extent mm-hmm. if you, if you do that because, there's so many other ideas that you can get from it. And, and some of it is not, are not just ideas. Some of it are, uh, some of it is, um, you know, accuracy, you know? What right. um, not to do, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. If, if you really want to go with that approach, then you would have to live in a bubble. Like, what am I going <laughs> to do? I'm not going to watch Star Wars 17 million times because I don't want to accidentally copy the hero's journey, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, it hampers you. It, it, it really does. If I if I want to write a you know a, uh, a space opera you know about some smugglers and stuff or something like that, and I say, well, I'm gonna avoid um, you know Firefly because that's what that show was. Right. Then it's like if you already have a basic idea from your story, I don't think that you will end up copying Firefly because your your basis is already gonna be different. You know. Um, yeah. Even if there's similarities, there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with similarities. I think I think the idea of um, steal like an artist applies to writing to to an extent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I also think that like let's say you, John, me, Zoraida, like we're given the same prompt, we're mm-hmm. gonna 
completely different books because of our own personal experiences. So mm-hmm. I try to approach my new book without without that kind of fear. The other fear is like, oh, well, it's going to suck. Like that that's a valid fear, right? Like mm-hmm. uh I I always forget how to write a book when I start a new book. Um, <laughs> and it never really gets it never gets easier. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. Um I think it's all it's it's always a I think you always go through the process of what, like, why am I, at least me, like, why do I even write? Like, I don't even know how to do this. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it kind of, and it, it kind of hits you like, um, I don't know, like you, you, you it, it, hum, writing is humbling, you know, um, every time you do it. <laughs> so when you're, when you're starting a, a new project, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're in a research phase, you're ingesting phase or whatever. Um, wow. Before you actually get to put words on paper, do you already kind of have a, a, a plot in your head? Do you kind of know the basics of the beginning, middle, and end? Do you, do you know the ending already and start? Like, how do you, how does your planning usually go? Or is it more I, of a dive in? I generally know the ending. Um, I think that I've gone into every book knowing what the ending is. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't think of a book, the only book that, that has not happened with is my most recent release, Incendiary, mm-hmm. which um, it's a high fantasy um, inspired by the Spanish Inquisition. Okay. So it's like a rebel girl infiltrating a palace and trying to destroy like this evil king who persecutes her people, which are magical people. Um, mm-hmm. And so with that book, I didn't have the ending. Um, I I was sort of going in. I had an outline and I, the ending kept changing because the third act, like the beginning of the third act kept changing. But for every other book, I do use an outline. I sort of pair the three act structure Mm -hmm. with, um, some sort of, some sort of hero's journey, whether it's the orphan's journey or the martyr's journey or the hero or the Campbell, right? Um, Can can you explain like your, your personal, what you would call your personal version of the hero's journey, because I know the hero's journey can be pretty elaborate, but I know sometimes people take out the things that they need the most um, mm-hmm. for their own writing style. What do you think your your uh, essential pieces are? I think my most essential pieces are the idea of the idea of transformation. Right, I'm taking a character who is in one place, and I need to transform them by the end. The book that I'm going to work on is a middle grade novel, so I think I'm going to approach it a little bit differently. Um, and I think of it as like, uh, I don't know if you've read the Percy Jackson series, um, but the Percy Jackson series by Rick Reardon is, um, you know, a boy discovers he's the son of Poseidon, right? And he has, he goes, uh, on an adventure. Uh, that book follows the hero's journey pretty closely. And I don't know if Rick tried to do that intentionally. In the young adult world, everybody calls Rick Rudin uh, Uncle Rick. Um, <laughs> um, but so, like, I don't know if Uncle Rick did this intentionally. I, I've never, I haven't actually heard him talk a lot about it. Um, mm. But for me, what I take is is the idea of transformation, and I stick fairly closely to the first the first two acts and sort of the and then the ending is a free-for-all, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the things that I sort of leave behind is 
in the Campbell, there is the idea of woman as a temptress. Mm-hmm. And I sort of changed that to just temptation because um, in the in the Campbell, the idea is that women are at our women are an object to be achieved on the hero's journey, not that they can go on the journey themselves. And because a lot of my my protagonists are are women and girls, right. uh, I obviously changed that. Um, and so I, I changed that to temptation overall. And so what is temptation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I did this recently because on my podcast, Deadline City, I outlined, I went through the hero's journey with a friend who never uses it. And she's just like, I don't get it. And so I went, I broke it down and I broke it down using Miles Morales into the Spider-Verse. Oh yeah, absolutely excellent movie. I was like, okay, look. so in that, in that movie, his temptation is uh, the idea that he can save the, he can save all Spider-Man, right? Like that that he he has a shortcut to greatness by by being self by being a martyr, and so that is his temptation is a shortcut to greatness. Mm-hmm. So it can be anything; it doesn't have to be physical. And I think that we can take all of these things that are established and make them our own. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. I like those ideas, especially especially that of change, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I would almost argue that that's one of the most important aspects of, of storytelling because if you have a character at the beginning of the story who hasn't learned anything or is exactly the same person as they are at the beginning, then I think there's something that, that's missed. And the reader may not know immediately what it is, but they'll kind of feel... Um, you know, like maybe maybe shorthanded in it to an extent because it's kind of like, well, things happen in the story. There were explosions and there were action, but something's missing, you know. And I think if if that story is missing a character's uh, growth arc or or, or or transformation arc, then mm-hmm. I then I think that, that you know you, you kind of leave the the writer, I mean the reader, feeling lost, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But. But yeah, so so when you mention <clears throat> when you mention uh, specifically like the idea of temptation, um, that also makes me think about what uh, the idea of needs and and the versus the want of your character. Yeah. Um, do you ever do you ever use those concepts or do you ever come across that concept of you know giving your character a, a motivation for something that they want that they think they need and then maybe conflicted with something that they actually need that they might learn along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I took that. That's in, that's a very strong point in the Blake Snyder beat sheet, which I also use. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yep, Save the Cat. Um, the Save the Cat. And um, there's actually a novel version that came out a couple months ago, or maybe a year ago, mm-hmm. written by Jessica Brody. And um, and so it's basically it's taking the, the Save the Cat and putting it into a novel because usually it's for a script. Mm-hmm. Um, and when and and it emphasizes the need being uh, the want being a physical thing, and then you transform that, and uh, you later your character after they they begin their transformation, they realize that they can't the physical thing gets taken from them, and now they are left with the need for an emotional thing, right? Right, um, yeah. When I was writing a Crash of Fate, that was really important because the physical thing that Izzy and Jules want is they want to get get this parcel, right? This package that they have to deliver, mm-hmm. um, or face 
you know, consequences from the people on the outposts and the people that need this, this, this item. Um, and then, but when that, that, that no longer becomes a possibility, the thing that they need is actually each other, right? And so they need emotional, this emotional sense of, of resolution and how do they resolve that? So, um, I thought a lot about that when I was writing A Crash of Fate. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, that's an excellent uh, example of that. Um, and, and, I mean, speaking of Crash of Fate, um, like I said earlier, I love that book. Um, I think the characters were handled really well. Thanks. Um, they're extremely, absolutely, they're extremely lovable. Um, you know, <laughs> and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, how, how, how should I ask this? So in, in, in the process of creating a, a, a relationship, how do you make that relationship feel like something? You know, uh, <laughs> um, is it the is it the two you know the two parts? Is it that you're making each character kind of have their own thing, and then the colliding of these elements makes you know explosions of you know love and romance, and it's amazing? Or is it more that something complements these two people, or you know something about each of these people complement one another? Um, how do you how do you approach making uh, a relationship that lovable because I honestly even after reading the book I, I don't know why I love these two so much but they, they work <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah I think that um, when I I do write I write romance novels under a pen name Zoe Castile Zoe with a Y okay. and Castile with one L so um, I spend a lot of time trying to think of like what makes romance novels work and what makes romances work whether you read romance novels on their own or whether, like we were talking before, you read romance uh, built into a greater story, right? It's the mm -hmm. B plot right. um, to the A plot. And because A Crash of Fate uh, was conceived as a, a romance in space, in Star Wars space, um, I spent a lot of time thinking of thinking about what Izzy and Jules are trying to find, right? Mm -hmm. They are kindred spirits. Um, but they are also incredibly different from each other. So it, it's almost like if Luke and Han were in a relationship, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Izzy is very, I mean, uh, Izzy is, you know, she's an aspiring, she's a low level smuggler and she's still an aspiring smuggler and, um, who wants greatness because that's what she thinks that she's supposed to have. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Jules, he wants, um, he wants to leave his planet because that's what he thinks he's supposed to do, right? So it's it's sort of like trying to pair expectations. And um, I like to give characters individual quirks, individual anxieties, um, individual wants and needs, and sort of like ticks, like character ticks. Um, so Jules is always thinking about how to help people, right? And Izzy is always thinking about how to help herself. Mm. And so because we have these two conflating things, um, you, we can build tension with their conflict, right? Because right. when you're writing a romance, you have to think about conflict first and foremost. Mm -hmm. uh, because our, our characters need to want the opposite things. And there also has to be a convincing level of miscommunication, right? Like, Jules isn't going to tell her that he... He's like, oh my god, you're so pretty. Like, I haven't seen you in 13 years, but like, I you know you're so pretty. 
and she's not going to, they're not going to be honest with each other because it's weird because they haven't seen each other in 13 years. Um, and so there's also that level of miscommunication. And I think miscommunication gives the reader a really big level of dramatic irony and dramatic irony is what causes drama. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that like, there's just so much that there's so many writing tools that we can play with. So um, that's something that I think about when I'm composing. Uh, I'm really glad you love, you know, Izzy and Jules. I loved writing this book. I, I didn't think <laughs> yeah. when I pitched when I pitched my idea to Lucasfilm, I was like, I don't think they're gonna go for this, but like, you know, I want to shoot my shot. So <laughs> uh, thankfully, they did like it, and they let me they let me run with it. So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things one of the things in the book that that was really cool. It's like, like you said, that the two, the dichotomy between the two characters, um, and and also within one another. I think that's important too. We 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 put these two characters together to make sure they have that kind of internal conflict, um, like Jules has with with wanting to leave, and like, why why does he want to leave? Like, why does that have to be his end goal? Why does he feel so compelled to leave? And then Izzy um, with her mom. Her mom was, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, her mom was like, a, she was more than a smuggler, right? She was like a bounty hunter. Or, or, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So she was kind of dealing with that at the same time, and her upbringing kind of helped her to, uh, kind of helped her give her that number, you know, look out for number one kind of a, kind yeah. of a mindset, like her mom taught her. Um, and Jules never even experienced that kind of thing. So no, no. His his like for him, experience. It's all about community, right? Because the outpost of Black Spire is, you know, it is a, a place where people go to escape and hide, right. but, uh, you know, the planet itself, Batu, but it's also a place where, like, the people who live there or who, who ended up surviving there have a very tight community and everybody knows everybody, so that's also a big part of it. Right. Oh, and that was, by the way, that was also an excellent way of, of giving us another, a, a bigger picture of, of the culture in Batu also. Um, so when you like when you pair that with um I believe Delilah wrote the other the other uh Batu book. Um the name is slipping my mind. Blackspire. Oh Blackspire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so like when you when you get both of those two, you get two pictures of this culture and I like the kinda of like kinda of like the way it meshed together. That's the, that's the reason we all love Star Wars. I like this yeah. big universe and everything meshes together. Even when that story was completely something different. You still get oh, glimpses yeah. of the culture. So different. Like our our writing styles are different. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but but it, but it but it came it, but you use that culture that's in Batu, which helps tell the reader more about this planet from the you know from Star Wars perspective, but also help to define uh, Jules' personality and, and kind of why he's like that. Um, but yeah, something about romance that you made me think of when you were just when you were just talking about those two was um, what the goal of a romance story is, um, and, and, I, and I'm thinking, and I, never, I haven't really thought about this though, because I don't write like primarily romance. But but you got my the wheels turning in my head now, and I'm wondering is, is is kind of the goal for for two people who the audience or reader expect to eventually get together is 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 the goal maybe for them to overcome their differences in spite of, you know, um, I, I wouldn't say overlook one another's you know flaws or whatever, but to come to terms with one another's differences maybe I think sort of like to 
to figure out that somebody makes you a better person, right? Because it depends on how you feel about love and romance, right? There are some romances that I will never, ever get behind. Like, <laughs> I'll never get behind a Nazi romance. I'll never, right. like, Nazi Jewish romance. Like, people keep trying, and I'm like, stop. And I'll never get behind, like, <laughs> the <laughs> romances, which people keep trying to do. And I'm just like, stop doing that those are two things like i'm never gonna go get behind a romance where it's like i have to convince you that i'm a person in order for you to love me right <laughs> so getting rid of that putting that aside mm-hmm. um somebody who makes you a better person because like for jewel for izzy right she is super jaded and she has sort of she's sort of beginning to lose her humanity right mm-hmm. because she wants to be tough and she wants to be like a killer like which she finds out you know whatever um mm-hmm. she wants to be a badass um and so what do we give up when we try to do that and how does Jules make her a more compassionate person right i guess it depends mm-hmm. on the themes that we want to have come across or pull across into these things if we think about lost stars um Sienna and Thane are on opposite sides of the war, Star the Star War, <laughs> uh, and but they what Claudia Gray does expertly is that she gives a reason for Sienna to stay, right, right, right. stay with the Empire, and it's a convincing reason, and it goes mm-hmm. down to culture, right, because in her culture she can't betray her oath. Right, and she right, made an right. oath to the empire, but yeah. she also made an oath to to Thane, which is like when it like that creates conflict, right? Like now you have conflicting oaths, right? And and so that that builds tension and that creates problems because they're in love with each other. Absolutely. Um, and so um, I don't know, I'm rambling because I <laughs> I just keep talking about this forever. Um, that's good stuff, though. I mean, like, honestly, like, this is the kind of stuff that people, well, at least I'll say from my, my perspective and other writers that I talk to, that they want to hear more of because it doesn't get talked about as much. You know, um, a lot of the conversation that we get when, when, um, people ask about writing is they just get told to go write. You know, um, <laughs> to be honest, the most helpful things I've had are, uh, talking with you guys, established writers, <laughs> um, yeah. on, on this podcast. Um, listening to things like, uh, uh, the, uh, the 15 minute writing podcast. Uh, what is it? The, oh yeah. Um, wait, the okay. one with, yeah. I can't think of the name of it. Uh, it'll, it'll come back to me. Writing excuses. That's what it is. Writing excuses. Yeah. Because, because they get, because they, podcast, I should know this. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they get right to, you know, they, they get right to the point. Um, and they talk about things that, aren't usually talked about because a lot, a lot of the time, if say you're engaging on Twitter or, or in a writing group, a, a lot like 90% of the conversation is, yeah, there's some heroes during in there and there's some extractor, but like at the end of the day, people are just saying, go right. Um, but th- that's the scary thing, you know, for, for us as writers, it's like, yeah, I know, I know I'm supposed to get there and I'm, I'm supposed to just start writing characters and start writing plot. And I know that it takes time and I know that the first one, my first book is probably going to be bad whatever and i have to get over it but like how do you actually improve on that like what how do i know that i'm actually moving in the correct direction so when we're talking about things like this on these podcasts and we're talking about what makes a relationship works and we're talking about the differences between wants and needs and how i mean even the concept of you saying the need is a physical thing i never really thought about that never thought about the need being uh, or i'm sorry the want the want being a physical thing 
and the the need being something that's more that's you know more conceptual or something emotional that the character needs. Um, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's 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 good stuff, and that that helps put people's mind in the right perspective. You know. Um, so yeah, I mean, like the rare, like you said, you said you're on rare, but no, it's it's good stuff. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, thinking about, <clears throat> sorry, thinking about the the idea of of um, wants, needs, emotions, relationships. Um, I, I kind of I always circle back around to theme because when I first started writing and, and, and I said I was going to take it seriously, I remember it was back in two thousand. 11-ish. Um, I still didn't have anything well written, but something around somewhere around that time, I was like, okay, I have to figure out what the thing is that makes the story work, and I really couldn't understand it because I was, I knew that I was starting to write better, like as far as like descriptions, right? I was starting to write like flowery, you know, maybe too flowery at some point, but you know, I was starting to get good. I mean, at that stuff has that stuff has like a place, you know. Um, right. There are books that there are books that. Um, it's okay to be flowery because it is like, it's a technique that you're using in the book for a reason, Right. but everything should be used for, should have the reasoning behind it. Right. So Mm -hmm. a book, um, a book that like, um, uh, the bells by Danielle Clayton, right. Mm -hmm. That book uses very descriptive language. It, you know, we're, we're as people of color, she's a black author, but like as people Mm -hmm. of color, we're always taught like, Oh, like we tell people not to use physical descriptions that are, are related to food, but mm-hmm. the culture of the world that she's building in the bells is very much a, um, it's like a luxe French inspired world. So it does call for that food analogy oh, and wow. that thing. <laughs> but if you read her other work where it's like contemporary and it's a thriller, it's, you know, it's very laconic. It's very straight to the point. So mm-hmm. that, that is how you know that you have mastered sort of like what is the, the the language and the diction that is necessary for your novel in order to create tone and mood and all of these things that were taught. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, and those are like, you know, I, I think when you when you're in high school and you're reading Shakespeare and stuff like that, I mean. Maybe that's the first place that people get scared because they're like, do I have to write like like this? Do I have to, <laughs> you know, do I have to use Shakespearean level uh, dialect, you know? Um, but 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 the, but the the other part of it, when you when you get to even more like wor- like books that use simpler language, and I, and I will say this, like in the early Harry Potter books, um, okay. which are excellent, excellently written written books. Um, the first thing, I, and I read them late. I didn't read them like when I was a kid. I read them. I read them late too. I didn't read them till high school, even though I know a lot of I have a lot of people who who read them as they got older, right? But mm-hmm. for me, I definitely started reading them uh, when I was older. Right, right, and I, I and I can tell along the way they get more. You know, there's it's, there's a little bit. She grows like the book style of writing grows as I guess she and the characters in the book grow. Um, yeah, because I, I, I think and I think. If it was intentional, which I don't know if it was natural or intentional or, or a little mix of both, but it works well because your audience, if they started reading it when they're in you know, fourth grade, and then they're getting older as they read it, and the writing style is changing to an older style, that kind of works, you know. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I was thinking about how how in the first book it's like really simple style of, style of writing, but it was still so well told. And when I was 
early in my figuring out how to write, I was like, what is it that the story is missing? And then, I, and then this concept of um, theme came up, theme and tone. And I was like, oh, what's like, what's that? And it's still hard to define. It, it really is. Like even even after even after having podcast about it and talked about it with several other people, it's still yeah. like when I sit down, I think about it. I'm like, all right, now, now how do I find that thing again? Like how do I find that feeling? Um, but I guess uh, I wanted to ask, like, what, what, what's your take or thoughts on theme? How do you how do you find a message that you're trying to uh, get across in your story? I think that I let it come on its own. Um, sometimes I sometimes I just I I want to talk about a very specific thing, right? Like mm-hmm. with Incendiary, I wanted to I wanted the main theme to be redemption. Um, and so then now my entire my entire job as an author is to like construct a redemption narrative for my for my character. Um, but other than that, I I just sort of allow the themes to pop up on as the as the story moves, mm-hmm. and I. I don't think that we can ever figure out all the themes that we're putting in, um, and that other author, other readers will find them for us. Right, right. Yeah, some some of them are, are kind of a an organic thing, you know. They they come that comes across as you're telling the story, kind of kind of the same. Well, I don't know. Well, let me not say the same way because I don't know how how it works for everybody else. But for me, my characters when I first start writing. Um, it's almost like meeting a new person, you know, um, you, you meet somebody for the first time, you're, you know, um, and it's kind of like, oh, you're, you're, this person's kind of cool, you're getting a little, you know, you know the surface aspects of them. But as you start writing the story, I feel like I start to learn the characters, which is why drafts are important. <laughs> you know, uh, your, your second and third drafts are important because now you know the character better. And, we, and as you're drafting over it, you can help. Uh, yourself pencil in the things that you learned about the character along the way. Do you, do you ever feel like uh, you're kind of getting to know your characters better as you write them? Yes. Because, so sometimes I'll have, um, I mean, again, I'm going to talk about Izzy and Jules just because uh, we're both Star Wars fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we met because of Star Wars. So. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, um, I think that I think that the more that I wrote, I don't I don't over plan a character. Mm-hmm. I think about like, okay, Jules, farm boy, honest, uh, you know, cinnamon roll, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I'm writing him, I started to I I start to fill things in because the one thing that I hate, like I will I will overplot for sure. <laughs> but I will never overdevelop a character. Like I'll never pre, I'll never pre-plan that. Um, I'll, I'll try to stage direct the scene, right? Like, um, the way that I guess like comic book writers or graphic novel writers like direct their artists, mm-hmm. you know, into like, okay, this is how it's supposed to look. Like I, I do that before I start writing a chapter. I write down what I think should happen what needs to happen, um, and what what new information we're going to get from this chapter. Right, that's, right. At the end, that is uh, the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that I the, the one thing that I, I still allow myself to sort of free write is, is the character itself. 
I, yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, it, it feels more organic, you know. Uh, I, I, and I always get stuck at that part. I, I always get stuck. Like I'll, I'll even write their background, you know. I'll write their backgrounds, the basics of where they come from, the basic, very basic tidbits about their personality. But um, it really isn't until I'm writing, like you know, the the book or the, the comic strip or whatever is happening that I'm really starting to get to know them, you know. Um, and I, I, I don't know if it's possible to get to know them. It's you know, it's if if you were to if you were to describe me a person you know really well. If you were to describe me, I don't know, a friend of yours, really, really well, and I get this really good idea of who they are, I still haven't met them, you know? <laughs> I still haven't had right. a conversation with them. Yeah, so we're creating, it's funny because, like, um, in my book Incendiary, the most recent one that came out, um, there's a prince in the book, and he's an evil prince, and he, like, does bad things, <laughs> and we don't, we only meet him twice. We meet him at the beginning of the book, and we meet him at the end of the book. And so the entire middle is my main character who, like, she's trying to kill him. Um, she gets, she steals memories. That's her, that's her power. And so the only way that she creates his character is by stealing memories from the people that surround him. So, like, a guard, a cleaning oh. room, uh, you know, uh, just like a random, like, random person, uh, in the court. And so she is building a narrative about him and it's conflating, right? So that, so I feel like that, that is something that we do in general life because like you've met me and you can be like, oh, it's right as X, Y, Z. And then a person who's never met me and has only ever seen me, seen me like shit posts on Twitter is like, oh, it's right. <laughs> right. So like the perception of people really depends on who's telling stories. So um, or who's telling, who's telling the narrative. Mm -hmm. And, and so with your character, the thing that I try to remember the most is every person in the novel, every other character in the novel should have a different opinion of your character. Because mm -hmm. if they all have the same opinion, you, that just means that you've just copied and pasted every, the, the same opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, but who hates your character? Who loves your character? Who thinks your character is, is like a piece of crap? And needs to die, and who thinks your character like you know walks on water? Um, so that's that's another thing to keep track of. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I do think that's a point. At one point, I don't do it anymore. Uh, a long a long time ago, uh, a few years ago, I, I, I used to like write out what are this person's thoughts of this character. Uh, I stopped doing it because it, it was really really tedious, and, and it turned out to not help as much as organically doing it. <laughs> but, but but keeping that in mind is is essential, I think. Uh, like like you were saying, um, uh, what, what came to mind just now when you said that is uh, the Mistborn series by Brandon Anderson. I don't know if you've read those before. But, um, no, I read those. But I think about I think about in that book. There's this there's a being called the world the the Lord Ruler of the world, and he's evil. Yeah. That's the image you get of him, anyways. He's evil, and he, he pretty much is evil. I mean, it's it's pretty clear he's evil. But <laughs> um, he's evil based on like what you said, the ideas of what all these people think about him, and the main characters of the book. The main characters hate him. And that's all you get. That's the only perspective you get, you know. Um, but then, as you move on in the book without spoiling anything, you meet other people who have interacted with him in different ways, and then you learn things about why he set things up the way he that he did. And right. all of a sudden, your perception of this character shifts, 
and you're like, oh, I mean, yeah, he was still evil, but oh, there's something more to this guy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that that's, that's another important, uh, an important aspect of character. And character is really, it's fun, it's hard, but it's also, I think, the funnest thing, because it's like, people are not simple. People are complex. People contradict themselves in every way, you know? <laughs> Uh, and, and I think being able to balance that well when you're writing a story uh, helps to make more realistic and, and believable characters. So yeah, in, in general, when, when you're writing characters, what do you think is the... What's the thing that you give your characters, uh, apart from relationships like we talked about earlier, that helps them become more believable to your readers? Uh, more realistic, more, more, more like real people that you love and and care about so that when you inevitably do something evil as authors do to them people people feel it <laughs> Fair, right i yeah. think that we have to give our characters a fatal flaw yeah yeah um whether it's and it can't be that they're too nice because nobody likes nice people i guess like my friend tells me all the time you're too nice um right. <laughs> uh, literally uh one of my editorial notes from story group for a crash of fate was this is a little nice for a stormtrooper in the dialogue, so I had to like mean it up. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it changed obviously, like in the final one, but that was just funny. Right, right. Um, I think giving somebody a fatal flaw makes them make them relatable because nobody likes like perfection. I think right. if you think about somebody like Steve Rogers, who is so moral and so good, and it's like <laughs> why. Why do we like him other than he's, you know, Captain America? Right. It's it's like the moments that he breaks the rules mm-hmm. that really intriguing because you're like, oh, he's such a rule follower. He's this, this, and this. But he will break a rule for his loyalty. And right. so I think that's really admirable. Right. I think giving something an ideal that they are really staunch on, like unwavering about, um... I mean, kind of like what you mentioned about uh, Sienna earlier. Uh, the, the, the one thing that kept her with the Empire was that she would not break oath. Um, and she was not a bad person. She was, I mean, she was very, I mean, she was a really good person. Um, I mean, Fame was a good person too, and he, and he left. Um, and he had his own flaws or, or whatnot. But, but Sienna, um, it's almost like, why is she even with the Empire? You know, she's not, she's not right. that kind of a person. We get it. Like, we get the reason why. Because, mm-hmm. she, you know, the Empire gave her an opportunity and took her away from, like, the planet. Which, but the planet was also being abused by the Empire. So, mm-hmm. it's a problem that they created. Right. Um, but we understand why she needed to go and why she needed to get go to the Academy. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of conflict is the kind of stuff that, I think draws people in to these characters. It's like, oh, why are you, like, you know, as, as a reader or as a TV watcher, whether it's a TV show, a movie, book, whatever, um, we, we go, oh, why don't you just, just leave? Like if they're in the Empire, just leave. You know, it's it's bad for you. Just you know, but but you you also know that well, they can't. You know, because of their their ideals or some other thing that's keeping them there. And I think that kind of conflict is is what keeps people going in stories. Because let's be honest. If um, every time I yelled at a movie or a horror movie, we said, why are you running down that dark alley? And they did the smart thing, then, you know, then maybe no monster shows up at all. And they just, you know, <laughs> and why, 
why are you touching that scary looking board game? You know, and then Jumanji right. doesn't have Raising the dead, right? Um, <laughs> it, that's the thing. We have to make mistakes. And that's, that's, that's why we go to fiction, right? Because it is a controlled place where characters can mess up and, and be, and be destructive and make bad choices. And we see them go through all of those motions. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, man, like, <laughs> There, there's there's so much to talk about when it comes to either of these either of these topics. Um, I mean, I can I can talk forever about about the aspects of character, about about the the concept of character archetypes. Um, I mean, you were making me think about that earlier too when you talked about temptation and the idea of the. the, the oh, my kids in the back again. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the but the idea of temptation and. Uh, the temptress, and I, I kind of want to circle back around to that really, really quick uh, before mm-hmm. we wrap this up in a, in a, in a few minutes. Um, but uh, one, one of the things that I thought about with the concept of the, the temptress uh, being uh, a woman and, and whatnot doing a particular thing, and, and I get why that's kind of the, I don't know, the standard or whatever, or the, the usual thing, but I feel like uh, there's other forms of the temptress archetypes. Um, one one of them I, I think about a lot that I talked about with some other writer friends was uh, the Kingpin in the Daredevil series. Um, yeah. And he kind of, he, I mean, he does, like, get mean and beat people up. But most of the time, he's, he's controlling things. And he's controlling something that you love or something that you own and then manipulating, with, uh, manipulating you with it. Have you ever had... Uh, characters of your own in any of your stories um, that you've done that with, or, or if not, um, just characters that that uh, you admire that kind of have that that uh, that archetype? I mean, I can't... I'm just obviously going to blank out now because I'm on the spot, but... <laughs> no, no, it's really <laughs> <laughs> um, So, I don't know if you've read the series called uh, Shadow and Bone. Oh, I have not, but that's on my list. Yeah, it's um and and so it's gonna come out as a Netflix uh, TV series at some point is either it, I think is this it, year. Um, um, Blood and Bone? Is it, is it Blood and Bone or Shadow and Bone? No, no, Shadow and Bone. Okay, I, okay, so that's that's different from the one I'm thinking about. Yeah, it's different from the one you're thinking about. Um, so Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo is um sort of a Russian inspired fantasy, um with people with powers and magic and and there's a character there called the Darkling. And he's very seductive, and he he is like a manipulator of of the main character. Like he manipulates her into like he like gaslights her with magic, basically. <laughs> and, wow. But at the end of the day, like so many people root for him. It's going to be a TV show um, on Netflix, and Ben Barnes is playing the character. And obviously, you watched. Um, did you watch The Punisher? Uh, yes, yes. The, the first season. I, I didn't watch yeah. the second one. So, like, you know, he's in B- Billy Russo, right? So, like, mm-hmm. he's he's going to be the Darkling, and he's so good at being oh, a bad guy. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Well, it's going to be so good. It's coming out the end of this year or the beginning of next year, I believe. There's so um, much good content. <laughs> <laughs> so much good stuff. Um, and so the Darkling just manipulates scenarios and he's been manipulating things for hundreds and hundreds of years because he's trying to get at things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a really cool, it's a trilogy. It's, you know, a lot of romance, a lot of like magic. Um, but then, uh, the follow up series is like, 
do you ever read a book by an author and you're like, this is really good. And then you read their next series and you're like, wow, they leveled up in a way that like, yes, <laughs> you, you know, so it's the first, the first trilogy is shadow and bone. And then the one where like Lee, like just massively levels up and it's just like blows you away. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite series It's called six of crows. Oh. Um, so that's like Ocean's Eleven, but in her world, right? It's like a mm-hmm. big height. Um, and so it's, yeah, so I, I, I definitely think of characters like that. That's a great way to sort of frame a story is is to have a villain that has um, not just the dark side, but also like their own their own way of getting under under your character's skin, mm-hmm. sort of like like Wilson Fisk, which is one of my favorite. I love I love him as a villain. I think he's great. Right. I, I think those are the ones that we try to achieve. You know, we we try to we try to find out how to how to make that villain that compelling without them just being like you know overpoweringly strong. That's the easy thing to do. Oh, they, the hero can't beat them because they're just too strong. But it's like, what yeah. if there's something else that's keeping the the hero at bay? You know, yeah. um, that's I man. Villain, oh, good villains are so oh, they make the story so good. Absolutely. <laughs> that I feel like sometimes that's what we're there for, right? Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I loved, I appreciated the prequels so much more after I watched The Clone Wars because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I have all of this other material about Anakin, mm-hmm. and now I, like, I am devastated every time I watch Revenge of the Sith because <laughs> now I'm like, fuck this, like, wow, you know, absolutely you know, it needs to happen for reasons, but, but uh, having that backstory and really grounding him and just making him super charismatic in, in the, in the Clone Wars, like mm-hmm. that, that just helped so much. Oh, uh, it hurts. It hurts watching, watching the third one every time. I, I was like, damn it. And that entire movie is a love story. You know, it's like right. the thing. It's, it's just so, yeah, I, I mean, seeing and then also seeing how um, from the from the villain's perspective, how Palpatine manipulated everything. I think Palpatine might be the one. If if there was a single reason why I like Star Wars, I mean, there's like several several reasons why I like Star Wars. But if there was a single reason that like kept me in it for the long haul, it was learning how Palpatine manipulated everybody. Because I've gone through a billion times of how the Jedi could could have got out of that, and I can't think of anything. <laughs> right. Because even if they, even if Mace did point his lightsaber at him and said, that's the guy, what can they really do? Because he's the Supreme Chancellor and to, to the public, he looks like an innocent, you know. So no matter what they did, he would, they were in trouble, you know. Uh, he had already, it was already, he had won before the Jedi even knew what he was doing. It was over before, like as soon as he became Supreme Chancellor, it was over. Uh, so I mean, yeah. <laughs> when I when I when I think about stuff like that, and then and then of course Anakin's fall, and then seeing all the things around it, even the new Clone Wars series where you know they're focused on Ahsoka, who's my favorite character by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, seeing all um, that, and then I'm saving I'm saving season seven for after I turn in my deadline. Okay, okay, okay. I won't I won't, I won't spoil anything, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's good. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, but but yeah yeah it's it gives you it gives you a, a really reason to, uh, I mean the Clone Wars gives you an even bigger reason to uh, appreciate what Star Wars does as a as a whole and that's really the 
that's really the big broad thing about Star Wars that I love. It's the it's everything connected into this universe. How you can tell all these different stories in this big universe. How how you can have the main Luke and Leia storyline, you know, span all the way to the end, um, but still have a um, you know a side stories with like Jules and Izzy or or Sienna and um, and Bane. You know, that's I think that's what makes it so cool. <laughs> it's, the, it's the universe as a whole, but um, but yeah, um, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, yeah. Real quick, before we do, uh, if you could tell people kind of real quick who 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 uh, most inspires you as far as as far as your writing. You mentioned Neil Gaiman earlier. You can use him if you like. Um, and then uh, tell people where they can find you on social media. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I wouldn't call Neil Gaiman an inspiration because like. I just used him as a reference for um, for for that book. Um, mm-hmm. So my main inspiration, I think, was uh, a group of authors who were writing in the late 90s, early 2000s. They were writing urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. So Holly Black, Charles DeLint, Vivian Vandeveld. Um, mm-hmm. That was, like, the core of, like, young adult fiction back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, I was re- I was reading young adult fiction when I was a young adult. So right, right. <laughs> I really came of age in that, in that age group. Um, when I went to college, my favorite authors were Tom Robbins. You know, one of my favorite books is Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. And, you know, it's such a weird fucking book, but, like, I love it so much. And... <laughs> And, um, it's like my problematic fave. Um, I think that right now, some of my contemporaries that I love are Lee Bardugo, which I mentioned the Shadow and Bone series, yeah. Danielle Clayton, Tessa Grattan, who has this amazing series called, um, The Queens of Innis Lear. And it's sort of like she just rewrote her, the Shakespeare play that she hated the most, right? Like King Lear. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, I'm just going to read you this. And <laughs> 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 women agency. Um, and so I, I love writers who take chances, right? So those are some of my favorites. Um, and what was the last thing you wanted me to do is tell people where to find me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, on social media, uh, Instagram, or, or wherever you want people to. On Instagram, I am Zoraida Solo. And on Twitter, I am the phrase at Z like and Zorro. Okay, cool, cool. Um and of course, you guys can find me at fourthwall.net. That's I V W A L L dot net. Also at fourthwall on Twitter. Uh, and you can also find the podcast on any of your favorite podcast services, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google, etc. Uh, but yeah, that's all we have, all the time we have for today. Thank you again, Zoraida, for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. I really, I this was such a great conversation. I love talking about craft, so I hope everybody finds it useful. Absolutely, yeah, yeah I, th- I definitely think that they will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch you guys next time. Peace out.